at the end of the day, you have to understand that like people have their own lives and they care about you when you help them. And if you're not helping them, if you're not really solving a problem for them, it's difficult to just build a great product. This is a Better Product original series sharing stories of big bets made in product. Did they pay off? Let's find out. We move so fast here on the show that we often don't have the time to look back and reflect. But the Big Bets series reminded me of one of my favorite podcast interviews back in the early days of the show with Sahil Lavingia. The funny part about it, too, is that the Big Bets so far has been people talking about bets they're making now on the future. Uh, but this one is really interesting because we get to look back on, on, on an episode and sort of see how the Big Bet paid off. So Sahil joined the show in August of 2019 to share the story of bringing his company Gumroad back from the brink of failure laying off 75% of the staff, and then building a product hyper-focused on value, not growth, something many in the tech industry often don't do. Since then, we've seen Sahil take many bets. The big one, embracing what it means to be a minimalist founder. Gumroad is growing, he's written a book, and he's bought out investors. Frankly, the COVID pandemic almost helped reinforce an emerging trend that was happening anyway with the creator economy, it was almost like form fit for what Gumroad was already doing. But it's really fantastic to see what Sahil's done. We'll link to some of these things in the show notes, but he's investing, he's writing books, he's doing so many other things to support the creator economy around even what's going on with Gumroad. So let's revisit our conversation and then we'll link to what Sahil's up to now in our show notes. So I'd love to kind of dive into really that maybe the last four years of your journey and, and, and how you sort of made that pivot from that moment into today, um, particularly from the product standpoint, because I, I think you've mentioned some things in that, in that realm. So I'd love to understand how did you refocus the, the company from 2015 and beyond? So in, initially, you know, we did the layoffs and we basically had very little staff at that point. So because we needed to get to profitability and I wanted to basically guarantee that. And so it was a pretty aggressive cut from 20 to five people. So a lot of it was just like letting go and hoping that it grew, right? Hoping that, you know, we, we had enough of the foundation in place and what we had built in our marketing and our content in our sort of the four or five years prior to that, that like the thing would continue to grow. And for the first year, it did basically flatlined. It sort of stayed the same, I guess, not flatlined. But that was the scariest thing because it was like, there's only so much a team of five people can do with this piece of software. You know, there was clearly only so much a team of 25 could do. And so it was this kind of almost freeing moment where it was like, we built this thing, we're going to let it go and we're going to just wait. And you know, obviously we're working on stuff and, and internally and things like that, but we're, you know, to cut costs and, and things like that. But we're mostly waiting to see if this thing is going to take its own life and grow on its own accord. And eventually it did. You know, 2015 was, was an okay year. 2016 was basically flat. 2017, we grew 20, 25%. 2018, we grew 30, 35%. And this year we're probably, year to date, we've grown around 40 to 45% of, of the first half of compared to the first half of 2018. So we're growing faster than we than we have in a long time in three or four years. And it, a lot of it was just, you know, no credit to my to me or to the team. Honestly, it's just, you know, as, as you mentioned, like the, the market wanted it at a certain rate. That rate is growing. And we're lucky enough to have built a product to serve that need before that need really grew to any real sense of, 
scale and it's still doing that. It's still growing. I think it will be many years still until it's a, it, until creators, you know, making a living, doing what they love, selling their own work is, is at any real, you know, billions of dollars a year. And when you started seeing the growth changes in terms of the product, what, what do you think changed in, in terms of, of that? Was it, was there anything related to what you were doing with the Gumroad product or, or, or services around 2017 that started, you know, riding the ship? Honestly, I think the biggest thing we did is we said, we're not going to ship any new features. We tried that. We spent nine months trying to ship as many features as feasibly possible, and they didn't really work. And so instead, we're going to just take the creators that we already have, that already use Gumroad, and we're just going to make their lives easier. We're just going to fix every bug they have. We're going to make the site really performant, really fast. Every confusion, you know, confusing element, we're going to clarify all the features that very few people use, but think about a lot, we're going to get rid of so we can sort of lower their stress levels. Uh, we're going to get you know better at answering their support emails. We're going to be faster about it. We're going to update our help center documentation, like literally the exact opposite of what we used to do. Instead of building new features and seeking growth, we were not building new features and we were just hoping that we're like that, but sort of basically by saying thanks to our existing creator base and for sort of being like, thank you for not leaving uh, Gumroad when we when we did the layoffs, we're just going to make your lives better now. I think I'm not sure why that worked. I don't know if that led to you know a higher NPS score or some other metric changing. And and honestly, it you know it took a long time to really see the fruits of that labor. But I think more than anything, I think people saw a product that was built by people that just wanted to build a really great product. It wasn't a product that was trying to grow. And building stuff to grow, and I think people saw that, and 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 that's what got people excited about telling other people about the product. Um, you know, because I think in general, if you're building a product that you want to build a billion dollar company, you know, it's like you really want to help someone do that, right? Like, what is the appeal of like helping your friend make a lot of money? But if your friend built this really cool product, he suffered a little bit to do that, and now you can help him out because you know you really think he's just doing doing a good thing. You know, kind of. I think it kind of makes sense that sort of the, the the financial contract almost that we had with our creators switched to a social one, and that has sort of maybe ironically led to growing the company. You know, the fastest it's grown since 2014, probably. So, as someone who built basically built Gumroad over a weekend, what was it like to not build new features for a full year or a couple of years? I mean, it was weird. <laughs> Uh, you know, because it was something I took so much pride in, you know, people were like, wow, this team can just ship. The product is getting so much more uh, powerful. And uh, it was really hard to say, you know, we're we're going to lose that. We're, no, people aren't going to know us for that anymore. But I think now I love it. Now, I mean, we're shipping some features again, which is great. And I, I get to do that more. But I think we're doing it in a much more thoughtful, strategic well-paced way where we're not just trying to sort of throw a bunch of things against the wall, but really consider what people want, what people are going to use, and then build services and, and features or, or these sort of core fundamental use cases that aren't built so that we can grow the product faster, but to actually just continue to make our creators' lives easier. And I think, you know, 10 years, five, 15 years from now, these features are going to be the ones that will, people will look back on and be like, wow, that was the right decision. But in, in, in the moment when you're trying to, you know, when you're looking at your monthly growth, none of these features make any sense. You're not going to focus on, you know, building blogging into Gumroad so that people can share updates with their, with their, with their fan base and maybe save money on another hosting fee that they might have or, 
you know, deal with a WordPress upgrade or something like that. You know, that's not going to lead to any revenue for us, but it's the right thing to do, I think, because it saves creators time, effort, stress, and money potentially. And I think long-term, you know, those things will pay dividends to us. If you were to give advice to somebody else starting, or maybe to yourself back, what, 2011 when you were starting, would you give that advice, the, the sort of ship slower, ship less? Or do you think that that's only something you were able to do because you'd, you'd establish some sort of product market fit and a decent uh, number of customers? Honestly, I think it's really hard to know. Uh, it's really hard to, to sort of, you know, to kind of guess at that. I think what I would tell myself is focus on the core fundamental product experience. The minute you're trying to sort of tack on features because you think they're going to lead to growth and money short term, there's a good chance that you're just sort of corrupting the product. And what you should really be doing is going back to first principles, really focusing on what is the core value that we're serving? Uh, you know, what is the market that we're serving? What, what is the core value that we're building? And revisit the core assumptions that you've made instead of sort of trying to, you know, put lipstick on a pig, growth-wise. So tying into that, the idea of going back to the core, going back to the focus, you mentioned that once you kind of went through that phase where you were kind of just fixing bugs, after that, your features got more thoughtful, they were more strategic, they were more well-planned. How did that manifest itself in your team and kind of in the activity, the product activities that you were doing? Yeah, so I, th- I think the, the core insight we had was to say, hey, look, like we're not necessarily concerned about helping creators sell digital products. You know, that was our, our, our thing was like, we just need to make it any type of way someone wants to rent, to stream, to download, to have apps, to library, all this sort of stuff that, you know, that was certainly step one. Uh, but really what we were, we're excited about is, you know, allowing creators to earn a living doing what they love. If creators can spend more time doing that, we win, uh, or at least they win. And hopefully we win as a, as a sub side effect of that. Um, so I think a lot of it was, was shifting our mission to say, okay, how do we help people just make money and earn a living. That actually doesn't necessarily correlate with features that have to do with selling digital products, right? Like building an audience, um, understanding that, you know, more customizability on your website, a blog, um, different way, you know, collecting tips, a membership uh, business product like Patreon has. These are all different ways of thinking about monetization for creators that have very little to do uh, with selling a digital product like a pencil icon, right? And so I think getting out of that mindset of e-commerce on, on a very sort of, you know, atomic sort of retail basis and saying, okay, what, what do creators actually, if, if, if this thing worked, what should it look like? Like, what is the best case? And now that we have a profitable product, we can just focus on that. We can build the dream product for the dream use case and even if it doesn't work, at least we still have our core product that we know does work, does make enough money to, to, to keep the lights on. And so I think that, you know, a friend of mine, Chris Savage, he runs a company called Wistia. He talks about this idea of profitable confidence. But when you get to a level of profitability, you can experiment at a level that you just could never do before because you know if every experiment fails, you're still safe. You're still alive. You're still moving forward. And I think that actually let us try out an experiment with ideas that we never would have before that have actually worked better than any other experiment we did. Because I think the truth of the matter is when we're in that sort of pre-layoffs, this might happen. We really need to write the ship moment. 
we were thinking that we were doing experiments, but we were actually playing it incredibly safe. And we were, we were working on things that we knew would have short-term impact, whereas we almost should have done the opposite. We should have been like, okay, this fundamental thing that we built is clearly not growing fast enough. Either we just come to terms with that, do a round of layoffs now, or we really try out some crazy new ideas. And I, I, you know, obviously hindsight is twenty twenty. I don't know if I would have been able to even do that with that short of a runway. I don't know if the team would have been on board, et cetera, but I think that probably would have been a better outcome. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, another thing that uh, we, we sort of noticed and you've written about over the last couple of years and you tweet about this is the transparency um, with revenue numbers and then just sort of you know, tweeting out, you know, top creators, which I, I aspire to, to be listed in that tweet someday, but I'm, I'm pretty far off. Uh, but, you know, the transparency seems to be more than a gimmick because you've been doing it for a while. Um, and you write about it. And I'm curious um, how the transparency in terms of what you're reflecting about your your uh, creators and then the company itself, um, how that's, you know, how that's worked out you know, for Gumroad. Yeah, I mean, the our open transparency is, is definitely not a gimmick. Uh, and I think if it was, it wouldn't work. You know, I think people would see through that uh, pretty fast. But I think the fact that we've done it for a while, the fact that even when I started Gumroad, I was really open about it. And what I wanted to accomplish, you know, tweeting about building a billion dollar company is like borderline stupid. <laughs> you know, people see that and they're like, oh, wow, this person's always been really open. It's not this kind of like new thing that he's trying out just to, you know, get some uh, Twitter followers or something like that. I think it in, in terms of, I mean, it started because I just wanted to add value. I was like still in that mindset of like, how do I impact the world? How do I uh, dent the universe? Clearly, my product is not doing that at the level that I was expecting. So maybe I can help the world in these different ways, right? I can share insights. I can write this blog post on Gumroad's journey. I can tweet out the open financials and a- answer questions. We're, we're This month or next, we're going to do this open board meeting where I'm basically going to run a board meeting live so anyone can tune in and see how a board meeting is run. Uh, these are things that I'm just genuinely interested in. I've always been interested in like the process that leads to really good products getting built, maybe even more so than building the product itself. And and then I think in terms of how it's impacted the business is that it gives us a level of camaraderie with our creators that I was honestly not even expecting. I was doing it because I thought I'd help the entrepreneurial community, the startup community, and sort of re-engage with, with that side of, of my identity. But actually... Creators are businesses too. They're entrepreneurs too. And so they actually see what Gumroad's doing and they learn, they get to you know, interact. They, they have this whole new dimension of this, uh, this product. You know, before they're like, oh, this is like some random e-commerce software that I used to sell a PDF. And now they're like, oh, it's a bunch of humans that went through this journey and they're actually trying to do the same thing I'm doing. You know, they're trying to earn a living doing what they love. And so it's kind of this cool thing that I think actually, same thing, like, I don't know what the impact of that is yet to our growth. Certainly we're growing faster, so maybe it's working. But I think it's one of those things that if it works in 5, 10, 15 years, people are going to look back and be like, obviously, this is the reason it worked is because they were open, they were transparent. They were not just trying to make a bunch of money, but they were actually trying to really be a a participant, an active participant in this community. And so obviously, this community is going to choose them as the winner um, instead of some other corporate boring e-commerce software or whatever. And at the end of the day, that's what matters. I think that's a big realization I've had is that you can build a really great product. And that, and that, I think that's sort of a, a prereq to some degree. So I think government is the same. I think we've always been really open, really transparent, and, and, and really sort of uh, product and creator focused. But I think 
being able to do it at a whole new level, which is sort of eight years in the making and sort of came with its own set of twists and turns. I think people see that and they, and they want us to win. They're not just using Gumroad because we're the best product. Hopefully we are, but, but also because we're, we're a company that they align with and, and, the, and, and we're, you know, a bunch of human beings that, that they want to see succeed uh, as well. You mentioned, and I think we're getting close to the end, but I want to I want to make sure we kind of talk through this. I think it's a fascinating thing that you said in that Medium article, but you said that you can have the greatest product, but really it's your market that determines your growth. So talk us through what you mean by that. I mean, I, I think what I mean by that is that the market grows at a certain rate. You know, every every product has its has its has the sort of the void in the in the market that it's filling, and if you pick a small market, it's hard to build a product sort of that grows larger than the market sort of by definition. So I think there is this, sometimes there's this attitude in Silicon Valley, especially, but elsewhere too, that you can, you can, as long as you build an amazing product, like you're going to build a, a great business around it. But at the end of the day, you have to understand that like people have their own lives. They go about their own lives in their own way and they care about you when you help them. And if you're not helping them, if you're not really solving a problem for them, it's difficult to just build a great product um, and then see it get used by millions and millions of people. So I think it was just a reminder for me that, you know, at the end of the day, if I have a really great month or a really terrible month, on both cases, I shouldn't be taking too much credit and I also shouldn't be taking too much blame because a huge, it, you know, it's kind of like going surfing or something. Like you can have a bad day, at, you know, on the water, it has nothing to do with how good you are as a surfer, right? These larger forces and... Being aware of that, I think, gives you some, gives me certainly some peace and some distance and some flexibility to say, look, I'm just going to do what I think is the right thing to do because at the end of the day, the market is a beast and, and trying to control and capture and manipulate it is, is something that very, very, very few people I think can do successfully. What does better product mean to you? To me, a better product means you solve the need of the customer better. The customer wants to do a certain thing. They've always wanted to do that certain thing, whether or not you exist. And your job, I think, is to, to help them do that thing. And so the, the easier, the faster, the cheaper, the more intuitive you can, you can make your product, you know, that means the, the customer can do what they really want to do, which is basically forget about you. To me, that is like the definition of a really great product is it does the thing, it gets out of the way. I like to say that the great product design is, sh- is shrinking the gap between what a product does and why it exists. And if there's like a complete overlap between why it exists and what it does, like you've won. Continue the series with us by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts or head on over to betterproduct.community.